0: That's good. That was good. <laughs> okay, maybe a couple... And the idea is that you're going to kind of sit a little bit straight and extend your your stomach a little bit. And breathe in through your nose. And then I'll just demonstrate this first one. You're going to kind of do a crunch, and you want to snort out your nose a little bit. So kind of like a... And so you just go from this uh, kind of fully erect posture to a crunched posture. And you'll feel like it'll just kind of evacuate uh, your nasal cavities even a little bit more. I'm going to do one more of those as a demonstration. And then we'll do 10 of them and try to like sequence it up. So OK. So that's the second demonstration. Now we're doing it for real. I'm going to do about. 10 of these. Okay, now usually after I'm done with even that, I start to feel, I don't know, a little, maybe it's just lightheadedness, but I start to feel a little euphoria. It's kind of strange. And then it would be followed up by alternate nasal nostril breathing. And you can accomplish this a number of ways, but the easiest way is just to take one finger and place it against the right nostril to block it, and we're going to breathe in through the left nostril. Hold it at the top, switch, and exhale through the right nostril. Hold that left nostril and breathe in through the right nostril. Switch. Breathe out to the left nostril. Breathe in through the left nostril. And out through the right. In through the left. Out. Through the right. One last time. In to the left. Out to the right. Okay. Now we're going to do something that's just kind of a more traditional breathing pattern. All of these might. Been a little bit strange but now we just want to do a full inhale through our nose and bring it to um, a little bit more than you think you can take in through your lungs and and into your belly so uh, hold it at the top and then let it go out first through your mouth as you sink into it in through the nostrils and pursed lips out through the mouth and again Now, sometimes what I would do in these exercises, because your mind tends to wander, um, just try to hold something in your mind that is a positive memory, person, place, and just try to explore the detail of it with your mind. And maybe close your eyes a little bit. Maybe not all the way, but dim your eyes And as you breathe in, try to find something that you could explore the detail of in exhale. Okay, very good. That last section, uh, once you settle into a predictable breathing pattern, that uh, is something that you can carry on as long as it feels enjoyable. And if you can find something in your mind to explore that brings you joy, reminds you of something that was representative of the the best of life. Uh, Starting my days that way helped.
1: Day bread. This is my day. high and order all things far and nigh to us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go rejoice Shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, desire of All peoples in one heart and mind bid envy strife and cold. i come to Thee, O Israel. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare, you're our living hope, your presence alone. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone And Come More aware of your presence Let us experience the glory of your goodness Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the air There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone In your presence Your presence I love you, Lord, and I
2: I wrote a book called Blessed, and when I wrote it, it was the very beginning of an entire cultural phenomenon of people using that word, blessed, hashtag blessed, to describe the feeling of spiritual accomplishment. In the right place at the right time, look at me on the beach in a barely there bikini shot, hashtag blessed. And in all of it, what it did was convince us that only perfection, needs to be celebrated only uh, that effortless feeling of your life coming together is hashtag blessed and the truth is it is not what the word means at all the word blessing is there to mean the ability to sync up our real lives with an experience of god's time and approval so we can bless the crap out of everything not just the moments where we feel like we have it all together so instead of hashtag blessed let's really think about blessing blessing the hard blessing the tired blessing the moments where we don't have it together because when we're doing it what we're just saying we're like opening a little door in our minds to say god be here in this too
3: Hi, I had a client in my office today who was reprocessing the Oxford school trauma. She's been working on this for a few weeks, given that the time of year is very triggering due to the recent anniversary and all that followed. She said the most poignant things today, and she gave me permission to share them with you all. She came to this conclusion and said, I think I can release the grief and still honor it. She said, I can move forward to hold space for the people and this event and move forward without living in fear and sadness. What she did is called dialectical thinking, and this allows you to hold two seemingly opposite ideas as both being true. A very simple example would be, I am scared and brave. Often we say things like, I am so brave, but I'm scared. And when we use the but, it makes it sound like they're competing. You can be both brave and scared. Um, I've worked a lot with children in foster care, and they definitely struggle with dialectical thinking. They believe that they can't love their abuser and hate their abuser at the same time, or that they can't love their foster mom and love their birth mom at the same time. And a recent 13-year-old that I work with, when I told her that she could love both and she can both hate her birth mom and miss her birth mom, she said, that's not true. You can't do both. You have to pick. And that black and white thinking keeps us stuck. And when I said, no, you can hold both and you sit in the tension of the both, right? It's not an easy, it's not easy to say, I love my birth mom and I hate her at the same time. That's not easy. There's tension there, Um, but yet in the tension is where um, there's truth. The truth is in the tension. Um, Another example is a 20-year-old had started to radically accept that her dad has limitations, and she remarked to me, I can see him as both flawed and trying his best. I can acknowledge that he both hurt and loved me, and there is some liberation that can come with acknowledging those things and the use of and again as opposed to but allows both truths to take up space without competing your love and your pain are both valid today your love is not nullified because of pain and because there is love it does not invalidate the pain i believe in the gospels we also see dialectics one of my favorite ones is the father who in wanted healing for his child. And when Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He was saying, I believe and I don't believe both at the same time. And what was cool is that Jesus honored that. He honored that that wasn't an easy place to sit in the tension of believing and not believing. Um, When the angel came to Mary, she was frightened and she obeyed saying, I am the Lord's servant. So going back to my early example, Mary was brave and scared. And Mary trusted the angel and she had questions. So she had the doubt and the trust at the same time. Even Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was about to go towards his crucifixion, he said, let this cup pass from me and yet your will be done. I don't wanna do this and yet I will do this, right? Like Jesus sat in the tension of those opposite truths both being true at the same time i am not sure what brought you today to our blue christmas but i wonder if some of these dialectics resonate with you there is a great deal of suffering in the world and there is so much beauty i can be depressed and have moments where i still feel joy i can be angry at god and need him desperately i can feel betrayed by church as a whole and long for the community inside of its doors. I can grieve this holiday and allow myself to feel joy when it shows up. I can be in the midst of trauma and know that it won't always feel this hard. I can feel that God has abandoned me and I know that he hasn't. I can push God away and long for him to comfort me at the same time. I believe that God validates your dialectics. He wants to hold the pain, the confusion, the joy, the beauty of these two truths along with you this holiday season. So whatever your struggle may be, being able to hold the two truths can sometimes bring some relief and knowing that God validates all of those things that you're feeling and trying to hold at the same time.
4: I'll be reading Tears by Frederick Buechner. You never know what may cause them. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it, or a piece of music, or a face you've never seen before. A pair of somebody's old shoes can do it. Almost any movie made before the great sadness that came over the world after the Second World War. A horse cantering across the meadow The high school basketball team running out onto the gym floor at the start of a game you can never be sure but of this you can be sure whenever you find tears in your eyes especially unexpected tears it is well to pay the closest attention they are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are but more often than not god is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next.
0: for
5: this next reading, I want to invite you all to stand, and we're gonna have a little um, prayer here where I will lead the initial ones to light these four blue candles. This candle represents our suffering, and the suffering of the world. In the light of God's love, we claim God's gift of truth. There is no need to hide or deny. God welcomes us as we are. Incline your voice, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. This candle represents our suffering and the suffering of the world. In the light of God's love, we claim God's gift of lament. We recognize our wounds and cry out to God. We accept God's invitation to express every feeling and question. All voices, please. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. This candle represents our suffering and the suffering of the world. In the light of God's love, we claim God's gift of courage courage to be honest to seek help to comfort one another courage to dare to love and dream again all voices the lord is my strength and my shield in him my heart trusts so i am helped and my heart exalts and with my song i give thanks to him This candle represents our suffering and the suffering of the world. In the light of God's love, we claim God's gift of hope. God is good. God is strong. God is near. Leading us to a day without tears and pain, without sin and death. Healing and deliverance are coming. If not now, then on that day, all voices. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance. O God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas.
6: Good evening, fam. I call you fam, because I know all of you, well, almost all of you by name, perhaps even know why you're here tonight. Um, Let me pray, and then I'll start. So God, we continue to um, lean into you in this evening, the longest night of the year. And for those who are not able to muster the will or the strength to be here tonight, God, we ask for your mercy for them. For those who are joining us online, we ask that your spirit would fill the space that they are in, that you would attend to them tonight. And for those of us that are here, God, we ask for your spirit to continue to call us by name and to speak to us to our hearts we pray in Christ's name Amen in Isaiah chapter 7 there's a prophecy it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel and then if you keep flipping you come to Matthew chapter 1 where we have the recording of the fulfillment of that prophecy. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And tonight, I want you to consider with me that this prophecy is still being fulfilled. So let me explain. The longer you know somebody, the more their name takes on meaning. Agreed? As many of you know, because we talk about it all the time, Me and Tina and Rome and Mercy and Edith are a foster family. We've had 15 different foster children come through our home. It's pretty amazing, but it's also the reason that we experience a blue Christmas. And like Kate said, both joy and sorrow can exist in the same space. When a child shows up to our house for the first time, that child is completely unknown by us. Tina always says, they're little strangers. We may have heard a snapshot of their story, but when the child arrives to our home, we basically only know their name. In that first meeting, the name is just a name, almost just like a word or a descriptor. The child comes with a name that was given to them by someone else, and that person said this is their name. But for us as the foster family, there's no emotional connection to that child's name. We have no experience with the child. There's no backstory. There's no meaning. There's no connection. We didn't give them that name. And we don't know the reason why it was chosen for them. But somebody else has said that it would be so. But as time goes by, as the fostering home we develop an intimate relationship with that child we experience life together laughing crying diaper changes finding the right position that communicates comfort and care all these things that make up bonding and when bonding starts to happen all of a sudden their name starts to take on meaning. A meaning that we didn't know before. And a meaning that comes from our heart connecting to theirs. And tonight I can say those names, and immediately I'll feel the personal connection. Names like Ray Lynn, She was crazy. Eight pancakes from the top down on the table. Jaden. A young man trying to live right. Keon, he had crazy little pinkies. Isaiah, princess. Ah, princess. The reason I grieve tonight. When Princess arrived in our home, we struggled with her name. It seemed like more of a title than a name. The name itself, Princess, had so many negative connotations to it for us. It was giving off entitled or favorited or maybe even conceded. And we thought, who would name their daughter Princess? (laughs) When we were out in public and we were asked what her name was, in the beginning we would sheepishly say, Princess? But that was in the beginning. before we really knew her, before we were bonded in heart. See, just like the other foster kids we'd had, as time went on, we began to learn exactly who Princess was. And eventually, her name achieved almost sainthood status in our house. I became so proud of her resilience and her strength, and her unconditional love, and it really began to fit her name. As though she would rule a kingdom with poise and grace and justice and mercy. And I would brag on her any chance I got. And eventually, if you asked her name in public, I would say, Princess, and that she is full of endearment and gush. <laughs> and we came to find out that Princess is quite the opposite of what we had expected when we had judged her from a distance simply by a name that someone else had given her. Princess is sweet and gentle and compassionate and caring. Princess is funny and patient, and quick to share with others. Princess is loving and sensitive and colorful. And her reunification to her bio mom was abrupt and unplanned. We didn't have the opportunity to help her transition, nor to help foster a bond with her mom. And we detest the judge's swift ruling and the cavalier behavior of the system to this day. But if you speak of princess, our hearts will overflow with warmth and also a simmering rage. You see, when we decided to become a foster home, We had sensed that it was an invitation from God to extend God's care to the vulnerable and the at risk. There are no children in foster care that have chosen to be there. And we wanted to join in extending God's care for them. We knew it would be challenging, but we didn't have any idea how much trauma and loss and grief we were signing up for. And naively, I believed that God would protect us from those things in this process. It was in our first reunification process with Isaiah that I realized that this was not the case. Isaiah had been a fixture in our family for 18 months. Tina literally had breathed life into him when he stopped breathing at four weeks old. We had been through trauma and joy together, and nothing bonds people together like a shared trauma. We were green as a foster home. We were green in the court systems, and we were green with the reunification process. And boy did the bottom fall out for us. See, I had been functioning under an idealistic version of God. That God would not invite us into something that God would not protect us from pain in. And protect us from, for me, meant the absence of discomfort and despair for my family. But that isn't how it turned out. There's this old saying, the safest place is in the arms of God. But this experience of fostering to reunite was challenging that idea at its core. Remember, I had always thought that if you were doing God's work that God had invited you to, that God would protect you then from pain or loss or discomfort. And that idea was crumbling in front of me. I'm not sure where that idea even came from. But apparently, it was a foundation in my faith. And the funny thing is, I wouldn't even have been able to articulate that I even believed that until it was so directly upended. We were gutted in that reunification process. Absolutely devastated. I was so mad at God for apparently recusing himself from the courtroom and then leaving my family in shambles and disoriented. I had issues with God and I let God know. Why would you invite us into this and then not protect us from the hurt? You made me sign up my family for this and then you abandoned us. You have ruined us. And God was silent for a bit. (laughs) And our relationship suffered. But then one day, out of the silence, God responded to me that I was sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That I was learning more about Jesus in this process than I had known before. And I thought, oh great, Thanks for that. And I told God, if you had told me this up front, to come join you in learning the sufferings of Christ, I would have passed. I didn't like it, I felt duped, and I didn't think it was fair. You ever felt that way? I felt like God had changed the terms of the arrangement. The agreement I was functioning under was, we care for the vulnerable, and in turn, God protects us from discomfort. And now those terms had changed, and I was coming unhinged. I argued and wrestled with God about this for quite a while. And one day, as the reunification for Isaiah was approaching, God spoke a promise to me. God said, We can do this, but not without pain. And in that moment, my idealized version of God died. It's rough when we're already down, clouded in the fog, under the weight of depression, sinking in misery, And then on top of that, what we have believed about God begins to unravel. I had been living with this idealized version that God would return the favor of being a foster home with shielding us from searing loss. But that was never part of the arrangement. Instead, God was saying something very different to me. God was saying, I want to teach you my name. You've heard it a thousand times. You've sung it at Christmas for years. Others have told you what it is. But now we have a shared story and nothing binds us together like a shared trauma." And God said, it's a meaningful name. My name is Emmanuel, and I'm with you. In the pain, in the discomfort, in the trauma, in the tragedy that we call life, we have opportunity to learn the name of God, Emmanuel, that God's still with us. Just last week, Tina and I were processing our current foster home chaos. (laughs) This one related to that sweet and beautiful princess, princess. And after a bit of sharing and sobbing, Tina turned to me full of sorrow and tears running down her face. She said, Nate, is there even a God? And in that moment, my brain started firing on all cylinders. One, I'm a pastor. So I was tempted to start defending God. Two, I'm an Enneagram two, a helper. So I was tempted to try and fix this hurt for her. And three, I'm her partner and I love her dearly. So I was tempted to try and protect her from those that were hurting her and just shut the whole damn thing down. But I sat silent for a moment. And I realized that in that moment, Tina was not only grieving the loss of Princess and our family, but she was experiencing the death of God. The idea of a God that bends systems of earth to protect every child The idea of a God that suspends the laws of courts to relieve the hurting. The idea of a God that intervenes to stop all pain and all discomfort. That version of God was dying. And Tina was mourning the loss. And her words helped me to realize so was I. And so I said to her, I don't think the data supports that that version of God exists. I don't think the data supports that that version of God exists. God does not act in the way we expect, not in every situation, not in every story, pain, uncertainty, loss, it's all baked into this whole experience we call life. And yet, God's name is still Emmanuel, that God is still with us. We can be angry at God, even doubt God, and yet still be desperate for God. I know I am. And when we're in these dark places of life, there's many versions of God that end up dying. And in their death, God is inviting us to come and learn a new name. A more accurate name. A more intimate name. One that is connected and bonded to us in heart. Not a name that someone else has given God but one that resonates in our life and in our experience. And it's in this place of grief and loss and mourning, in the midst of turmoil and sorrow and uncertainty, the place of darkness and desperation, that God makes invitation to us to come and to learn the name for ourselves. You know, it's just like how the names of those foster children, once little strangers, become cherished in our home. They start from a place where someone else said this was their name. But when we find ourselves in that valley of the shadow of death, we learn for ourselves the name. And it's written on God's heart. And so tonight, Joy and cheer may be the default for some people this season. Everything merry and bright might be somebody else's story. There's no promises for us for a life without pain. But the promise for us this season is that in the darkness of midnight, that God is still with us. Emmanuel. May God have mercy on you, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your sorrow is, and may you not be tempted to despair. And my prayer tonight is that God would speak the name Emmanuel right into your ear and right into your heart. And if God seems a stranger to you this season... Would you take the opportunity to ask God to teach you a new name, that God is still with you? Let me pray. So God, we uh, invite you to speak even now as we move to uh, responding. And so we ask for uh, freedom, From any other voices and any other distraction. And that you would mercifully call us by name in this moment. Amen.
5: When you came in, you were each given a blue sheet of paper. Uh, If you're on Zoom, we want to invite you to participate this in the chat. If you didn't grab one, there's some sitting right back there on the, the side of the table. And what we want to invite you to do is to write your burdens and your sorrows on the blue strip of paper. And with that, when you're ready, or if you're ready, if you would like, we're going to come and make a chain of our sorrows and our burdens. And we 're going to chain them to jesus sorrow and chain them to each other's sorrows collectively, and then we 're going to pray for the sorrows that we all hold and the burdens that we hold. But as you come and if you choose to it's a total it's totally up to you, but if you would like to we want to invite you up and we 'll staple your sorrow you can You can clip it so it 's on the inside so nobody will see specifically what this is we won't we won't. Um, decorate anything with our sorrows. Um, but, uh, and then after that, we invite you on the sides to have a spot that we have in elders and pastors just to do a blessing over you. Um, and then we've got a piece of evergreen, a clipping for you to take with you as you return to your seat as a reminder of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And so with that, when you're ready, I invite you to write out your sorrows, if you have if you've already done that, on the blue sheet. And if you'd like, you can come up and we will chain them together. Jesus, you are full of compassion. You understand our pain. Our sufferings, our suffering changes our experience of you and the celebration of your birth. We are caught between remembering happier times and grieving what might have been. In our loss, we feel cut off, disconnected, adrift, alone. Root us in your steadfast love. Anchor us in your faithful promises. Hold us and all who weep this holy season throughout the world. Those who mourn, those far from home, those looking for work, the lonely, the addicted, the abused, The estranged, the oppressed, the enslaved, the poor, victims of war, the sick and dying. Shelter and sustain us with all your healing and hope, your peace and light. We love you. We need you. We trust you. Amen.
1: to stand and adore him let's sing the chorus loudly and joyfully together oh come let us adore him
7: to close our service. Unless you're not done, Marty. Did I interrupt? Okay. It's by Lisa Ann Moss de Grenia, and it's called For Grace to Bear Suffering. We pray for the grace to bear our sufferings as Christ bore his for us with dignity, humility, forgiveness. We pray for the grace to bear our sufferings as Christ bore his for us, with compassion, truth, enduring. We pray for the grace to bear our sufferings as Christ bore his for us, knowing our sufferings are not like his and not like others, yet shared with the universal longings of all humanity, real and painful, and deep no need for comparison only companionship we pray for the grace to bear our sufferings as christ bore his for us as christ bore his for all all i will ever suffer all we all will ever suffer will be made known will be made whole through his love and self-giving in this we believe and trust and follow and hope in this we are made new thanks be to god hallelujah amen